Hello there, gang. Monday Morning Analyst. It's now April 25th, 2016. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Um, today, we're going to get to really just one event, but we'll talk about a couple of them. Uh, Bellator, what, 153? And, uh, well, just one fight from that, really. And then um, UFC 197. So thank you so much for joining me. Three parts to this podcast. An overview. We'll look at some footage or some film or... Well, some slides, really, in the second part. Just some of the uh, more technical action, and then we'll look ahead uh, in the third segment. Um, let's go ahead and get right to it. Uh, now, before we talk about UFC 197, got some Mia Culpa to do here on um, on uh, Benson Henderson fighting uh, Andre Koreshkov at Bellator 153. Everyone on Twitter was giving me crap about it, deservedly so, uh, for, um, you know, I didn't make any official predictions, but obviously I was... Stumping pretty hard for uh, Benson Henderson at Bellator 153. That took place at the Mohegan Sun Arena, aired on Spike TV. I guess it was a tentpole event. I didn't even realize that, but in any event. Um, you know, look, uh, it wasn't that I didn't know that Henderson was going to be outsized. I think we all kind of knew that. Um, but it was just that I didn't make much of Koreshkov's takedown defense. Wow, it has massively improved. It's massively improved because he sits behind the jab in a way that he didn't used to before. Um, he had a really disciplined game plan. I also thought that Benson Henderson had a real problem with um, the cage, not just being smaller, but being circular. If you've ever been to a Bellator show, the cage is actually harder to see through. Um, the UFC octagon is not just bigger, but of course each of the sides is a full panel. Well, if you're sitting like in the middle of the panel, you can see it. But if you're watching a Bellator event, even if you're right on like a nice angle on it, because it curves like that, it can kind of disturb your field of vision. So it's got this really interesting uh, thing going on. I, I think he struggled with that. He was never really able to get away or circle out in ways. I think he had thought he kind of got stuck against the fence. Koreshkov switched it up, dropping him with those flying knees. It was a shocking performance, at least for me. So if you if you were out there and you predicted Koreshkov, and there's like three of you who did, so don't front. Um, kudos to you. Uh, Koreshkov massively improved since the Askren fight. And Askren, of course, is bigger with different kinds of takedowns. But I really thought, in the end, Henderson was going to be able to get the takedown. He didn't get close, not even one time. So, mea culpa. There we go. Moving on. UFC 197. So, I was there. If you saw me and said hi, thank you so much. Um, it was a long week. It was a crazy week. This took place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Uh, I believe the attendance was 11,352 for a gate of 2.3 million. So, what happened in this one? Uh, we'll just go through this real quickly. Um, John Jones taking on Ovin St. Preux, decisioned him 50-44, 50-45, 50-45. I had a 50-45. I didn't quite think that fourth round was 10-8. So, what happened here? Well, on the one hand, you, I mean, you guys saw my reaction in the in the post-fight video with Ariel Hawani and Sean El Shadi. It, it just seemed like... It wasn't that Jones looked bad, he just looked lesser. Like he was throwing half of the things he could have thrown. He was attempting half of the things he could have done. The oblique kicks were there. He was uh, he had a nice cross off of one of the, some of the feints he was throwing. Uh, we're going to do a video about that fight in next week's Monday Morning Analyst because there's nothing a whole lot this weekend to look forward to. So, um, so we'll do that. This week we'll look at uh, uh, Mighty Mouse's destruction of... Um, Henry Cejudo, but for now, talking about the Jones-OSP fight, you know, OSP obviously couldn't really make a lot of effective use of that left hand once it was broken, you'll see him kind of dangle it. Um, he had decent takedown defense in the middle of the cage, right, able to stop the treetop takedown, and that one trip, the turning clinch throw, so that was interesting, um, but he never really seemed to be trying to win it, he seemed to be trying to survive, and Jones, content to half-step, either because he, he claimed it wasn't ring lost, he claimed it was the switch of opponent, just didn't look great, didn't look bad, 
just didn't look great. Just looked half of what we think him to be. He claims this is a function of the fact that he was so focused on one opponent. Um, his coach has told me he's a creature of habit. And that you'll see the real John Jones, the one who had prepared anyway, um, to be his best against Daniel Cormier. So I still think there's some merit to that position. I definitely think you'll see a better John Jones, even if he's wrong in his own self-diagnosis. And it was, in fact, ring rust. He did get that first fight behind him, and now he has the second one. But just to make that known, he didn't look all that awesome um, for reasons that you can debate. But uh, he did win pretty cleanly. Elvin St. Peru just was never really in the fight. Fourth round. You know, once he got him against the fence, Jones did. He had really easy takedowns there. Uh, and, you know, one time he tried to do it, and then St. Prue used a butterfly hook to rotate him over, which helped him to stand. In the second and third slams, he kind of slammed him into side control, which allowed him to stay there, and he kind of mauled him after that. So, um, again, not a bad performance, just not really a great one. Uh, and the second one, Demetrius Johnson just absolutely demolishing Henry Cejudo at 249 in the first round. We'll save it for the next uh, segment, but suffice to say, I don't think he's number one pound for pound, but I wouldn't argue against it too much. If you have a strong case for it, I'd be happy to hear it. Um, I think it's a very it's a very debatable point at this point, which tells you, you know, Demetrius Johnson's out there fighting in a newer division against, um, you know, I don't think the guys are as necessarily talented in, as overall MMA fighters as the the, the guys that Johnson, uh, uh, Jones has fought, but but what, what Demetrius Johnson's able to do is so special that, again, if you want to argue he was the best fighter in the sport, it's a you can do it. It's a possible argument. You know, you can debate who who is Jones or Johnson. Here's what I know. We're lucky as hell to be able to watch these guys in their prime do what they're doing. An unbelievably fantastic job. We'll take a look at that in detail in the next segment. Uh, Edson Barboza defeating Anthony Pettis, unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. Shouldn't be noted that Barboza... Excuse me. That uh, Connor Rebush of uh, Heavy Hands has a good explanatory post on Reddit talking about how the jabs of uh, Barboza really slowed down and stopped and really enabled uh, Barboza to time, measure, and gauge what Pettis wanted to do so that by the second and third rounds, he really had full command of it. The leg kick on the inside, oh, I mean, geez, he had all kinds of leg kicks, the outside leg kicks, the inside, and from either side, too, really. Um, just absolutely brutalizing Pettis. What to make of Pettis at this point? I don't really know. I'm trying to make sense of it. My best guess at this point is I really wonder if the beating he took against Dos Anjos changed him. We don't really see it that often in MMA, but you know, you go back to David Loazzo, Rich Franklin, and that was much worse, but that Loazzo was never the same after that, and I really wonder if um, Pettis has suffered the same fate. I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know that to be true. I'm kind of trying to theorize like many of you. Some of you have said, well, he was never that good. Yeah, I don't really believe that. He beat Benson Henderson twice, submitted him easily the second time. You know, he was able to really connect on Gilbert Melendez and then submit him quickly too. He was able to be accurate, powerful, and explosive and then make guys make bad choices and then finish them off from there. And I'm just not, he's not connecting. He wasn't as accurate this time. Like some of the hallmarks of what you know him to be weren't there. He had a nice shovel punch uppercut in the first round, but... Not much more than that. Really not much more than that. Um, he just got fundamentally beat. And I I don't... I Again, I'm not declaring him uh, beyond the point of no return, but I'm wondering if he is. Robert Whitaker defeated Rafael Natal, 29-28, and then 230-27s. Good performance from Whitaker. Uh, basically, you know, stalked Natal for the most part. Was able to get some big strikes in there uh, now and again. Uh, avoided any kind of real takedown threat, but 
Um, more of a workman-like performance. And then Jair Rodriguez. Jair Rodriguez taking on Andre Feely, flying head kick at 215 of the second round. What do you say about this guy? Unbelievably creative, explosive, um, and the way in which he's able to find openings for these dynamic offensive moments. Um, he is a truly special guy. That jumping switch kick KO, one shot, clean. Uh, you know, Andre Feely was there. He was game. He was ready for the opportunity. He has no excuses. You know, not, not that he put forward any, but... Um, Rodriguez has one to keep it, you know, he is he is reckless, but he's reckless in a very pointed way, and he's reckless in a way that makes it work for him, and if he can keep that spirit alive as he gets better and better and better, boy, watch out for him. We move on to the preliminary card, Sergio Pettis taking on Chris Culades, wins by unanimous decision, he basically beat Culades everywhere, he beat him in the clinch, he beat him on the ground, uh, beat him with his jab, be beat him everywhere, this was a, you know, just one guy was clearly better than the other guy, Sergio Pettis not really lacking that punishing power to put guys away most guys at flyweight don't but nevertheless um you know dominant performance by the younger pettis brother danny roberts and dominic Steele putting on just a slobber knocker 29 28 across the board for danny roberts this was a tough fight grueling 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 clinch fight danny roberts was a little bit i should say a much better striker on the outside but Steele constantly got in his face. Steele constantly wore on him. Steele ate, ate Roberts' best shots and delivered many of his own in short, tight quarters. Constantly pressing Roberts against the fence. Constantly wearing on the back of his neck, trying to put him down. Eventually, you know, again, the outside striking of Roberts and the takedown defense, for the most part, that he had won him this fight. But that was a very close one and a very grueling fight. I saw Roberts in the casino afterwards. And he was limping. He was smiling, but he just he was like still short of breath, you know. Uh, Carla Esparza defeated Juliana Lima, 30-27, a very uninspired performance. I will say her post-fight comments in the media room seemed to indicate she was just trying to get past a traumatic event in her life, which was the Ian Jacek fight. She didn't, her body language in this one just didn't have any zip or pop to it. It was just doing enough to win. Maybe that's what she was doing. I don't know. We'll see. It was a rebound performance, so I can't judge her too hard. I don't want to be too dismissive. Again, she won, and she won all three rounds, but... Some were saying that the guard work of Lima should have got her at least a round, and I, I'd be sympathetic to that. But overall, I didn't think her guard work was all that effective. You know, she was trying things, but they were never really all that close. And it was the same desperation armbar over and over again. James Vick defeated Glyco Franza. 229-28-130-27. I don't understand the 30-27, but um, Vick coming off another layoff. A uh, guy who had, um, you know, he had decent, um, he's got a great ground game. Uh, was getting losing the takedown battle early, but once he began to really mind his uh, presence in the cage and where he was relative to the fence, was able to circle out effectively. Uh, was the better striker of the two. Was able to land the right hand with a fair amount of ease. Um, was cutting angles through jabbing, right? Would jab, jab, cross, and then as he would do it, would cut angles. Um, was phase shifting, so he was doing a lot of interesting things as the fight wore on to show he was the better fighter. But he had a little bit of trouble early. Then we move to the preliminary card, Walt Harris defeating Cody East at 418 of the first round. Heavyweight's going to heavyweight, man. Cody East is not a bad heavyweight. I'm sure he'll rebound. Had his moments early anyway, and it uh, doesn't matter. Walt Harris is just a big power puncher. Marcos Rogerio de Lima defeating Clint Hester. Arm triangle choke. Clint Hester has not looked great a lot at all recently, and I really wonder if he's what his future really is in mixed martial arts. De Lima, I believe, used to be a heavyweight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Uh, but now is, uh, or has fought at heavyweight anyway. Um, but now is, of course, a light heavyweight. So 
Uh, he looked good against Clint Hester doing what he needed to do. And then Kevin Lee got back on the winning side of things against Efrain Escudero, 29-28. Uh, you know, Escudero is a, is a good wrestler, and he makes you pay. But uh, Kevin Lee is overall more talented, had a really energetic, positive attitude heading into this fight, was able to establish top control in that third round and um, do what he needed to do. Okay, didn't want to belabor the point too much because um, I really want to talk in the second round about Demetrius Johnson. We're going to take a look at some of the things he did here. We're going to look at the whole fight because it's just so fantastic. He's just so unbelievable. I'll make this point again in the second segment, but I just want to make a note here about Demetrius Johnson. There's nowhere he lost this fight. Even if um, you count the takedown as something that, that Cejudo did well, he couldn't establish it. He kind of got a little bit lucky with it, as I'll explain in just a second. And in the clinch, it's not like their wrestling was equivalent and then Demetrius Johnson threw in strikes. Johnson was better in the clinch positionally anyway. The strikes only made it worse for Cejudo. You're going to see that as I explain it in the next segment. Um, Demetrius Johnson is just hell on wheels, man. He is such a talented guy. And here's the truth of the matter. A lot of people don't want to say they don't like watching him at this point because he's, his record of dominance is so overwhelming. But the truth is, look, if you put up Demetrius Johnson content, not a lot of people read it. But I'm just going to bite the bullet on this one. A lot of people might say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. I love Demetrius Johnson. And then you don't. I'm not saying you, you, but the proverbial you. But I'm going to bite the bullet on this one. I'm going to make the focal point of this, of him, this one. Because even if I don't necessarily think he's got a better case... Then John Jones for pound for pound. Again, it's debatable. If you want to argue it, I couldn't argue with you too much, really, to be honest. Um, and more than that, it was just such a full-throated, unbelievable performance that the guy deserves credit. And I wanted to make this just about how special he is because someone's got to, even if it won't necessarily bring in all the big numbers. So here's Demetrius Johnson. How did he beat Henry Cejudo? Let's take a look. All right, so here we have the co-main event, Demetrius Johnson, the UFC flyweight champion, who successfully defended his title against Henry Cejudo. Um, what you really want to pay attention to in the clinch fighting here is a number of things. Number one, um, let's see, the accuracy and diversity of the strikes in the clinch from Demetrius Johnson, particularly with uh, respect to the knees. He did throw a, an elbow over the top that landed nicely. Uh, maybe a couple of other things he threw in there. Um, but what you really see when you go through the tape is the angles from which he throws the knees, the positions from which he throws the knees, the purpose with which he throws the knees, um, to get hands to drop, to get hands to go up, to get hands to move, to open up lanes. It's a very clever, dynamic use of it. Moreover, positionally, he doesn't ever really get out-wrestled. There is that one takedown, but short of that, you'll see that the angles he takes in the clinch are all really the better, more dominant angles. Um, even when he loses his favorite side underhook, it doesn't really matter. He's able to, to win on the other side. The, the takeaway for me from this when watching this was... It wasn't merely that Demetrius Johnson was able to quote-unquote hang with Cejudo in the clinch from a, just a wrestling position, right? I mean, yes, he won with the strikes, but it's more than that. Um, he beat him in the pure wrestling side, too, again, absent that one takedown. But then you add in the strikes, and what you really see is Cejudo was completely, totally overmatched. And again, that was obvious just watching it, but we're going to go through this video footage here, and you're going to see it's even more obvious than you think it is, uh, or it's even more dominant than you think it is. So here we go. 
Um, you know, they did a little bit of uh, circling on the outside. Uh, Cejudo was, excuse me, not Cejudo. Um, Johnson was switching stances. But, you know, there was a couple of leg kicks, but that's not really here nor there. So you see we start here. He's got this left side underhook. This is going to be one of the early um, spaces that they have their clinching. So, okay, let's move along. Two seconds later, they sort of turn around in a circle. You can see him blocking the hip. He's got an underhook. He's able to pull on the lat. A little shallow, but not too bad. You know, a bit of a stalemate, and he's blocking that far side knee as well. So everything looks pretty normal here. Okay, you're going to see Demetrius Johnson do this a lot, whether he has the left side underhook or not. He likes to grab the wrist. He likes to get his thumb in the crook of the elbow. He likes to grab up on the bicep, and he'll even squeeze his own elbow inside their elbow, put his hands on the shoulder, because he's got such a diversity of control. You can go back to the type of strikes he throws. You can go back to the accuracy of the strikes he throws. You can go back to any number of things, the foot positioning, and you can go back to the methods of control. This is what I'm talking about when I say who has the more dominant clinch, even just from a wrestling perspective. That takedown was nice, okay, from Cejudo. But once that's over, you're going to see it's Johnson who dominates every phase of the game. It's not merely that they were, let's say, roughly equivalent in wrestling, but Johnson just knew how to throw strikes better because he's got longer tenure in MMA. No, he's got a better clinch game by any measurement. So let's keep going through the slide. So you see, they're, you know, they're adjusting, they're jockeying for position. Um, you see Johnson, he's always got his head on the opposite side. He's got the underhook. Um, you know, so does, well, he doesn't have the underhook here, but, you know, Cejudo knows what he's doing for the most part in this space too, right? I mean, you get that idea. So, okay. So you see Cejudo, you go back here, tries to, I believe, how far along are we? Yeah, so a few seconds later, tries to fire a knee. He misses because what you're going to find in this whole exchange from the beginning of this fight to the end of the fight, Johnson is always taking the dominant angle, if not always, the vast majority of the time. You really see that. So he's able to step out of the way of the dominant of the of the knee that Cejudo's trying to throw here. And what you see he tries to do is when he when Cejudo puts his foot back down, Johnson tries to trip him. Now he doesn't quite have it. You can see his foot's on the inside here and his knees on the outside, but what you really want to have is like your entire knee covering their outside of their entire knee with your foot on the outside too. But you can see, again, remember what I mentioned before? He either has a hand on the wrist, a hand in the crook of the, or a thumb, you know, inside the crook of the elbow, hand on the bicep, hand on the shoulder, and he's using it for a turn. Doesn't quite get it. John uh, Cejudo writes his balance here, but just something to pay attention to. Some of the finer details, even when he's not successful, you can see he's got such a command of, an, of a wide array of options. So just want to point that out. There was an early moment here where Cejudo tries to, or where, excuse me, where Johnson tries to make Cejudo pay, not merely by getting that dominant angle so the knee misses, but when that leg comes back down, Johnson trying to trip him. So we move along. Um, now they're changing different sides where he's still got that left side underhook, but they're rotating in a circle. They're rotating out of position. Um, he's trying, oh, this is where he throws his shoulder into Cejudo's face. Again, the knees were really with the, 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 story of the offense in terms of what really changed the course of the fight but again where Cejudo was really trying to match the wrestling of Johnson Johnson was able to match the wrestling really exceed the wrestling and then mix in such a diverse array of really important and off-balancing strikes so that you can go back to the footage like go to 426 and you'll see him or uh, 420 yeah 426 and you'll see that the shoulders down and the 425 the shoulder fires up all right, so now they're sort of readjusting for position. And what you're going to see is they had sort of squared themselves up. So Hudo looks like he's trying to escape cleanly. In his defense here, 
Uh, Johnson has the inside space here, but it's Sahudo who has the inside space on the right side. You can see that he's got an outside arm uh, for Johnson there. So this is roughly a stalemate. I would give it a slight edge just in this one moment in time to Sahudo. But what you see is uh, they. So yeah, again, they're jockeying here again. What was I looking for in this one? I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Jockeying forward again. He gets hip to hip. Look who has the dominant angle here. Now if Suhudo wanted to, there is a possibility of an inside trip here, but with that overhook, that's going to be hard to change levels like you need to, right? Because Johnson has the underhook, so I would say, look, look who, where, look whose hips are facing their opponent. Suhudo's hips are facing kind of out like this. Johnson's hips are facing Suhudo. I think, and he's got the near side underhook. I think that gives him a lot of options. Just notice that. So you see Cejudo throw something here. There's different kinds of knees you can throw in the clinch. Um, there are You can do a, a knee straight up the middle. You can do all kinds of switch step stances. And then you can throw like a knee to the side. You'll notice that it does kind of land up the middle here, but not exactly. When you go back and you watch the tape, what you'll see is, and again, he has it on the same side as the underhook. This is an important thing to pay attention to as we go along. This is more like the inside of Johnson's knee that lands here. It's not quite a traditional, uh, you know, uh, side knee of Muay Thai where a guy like angles his hips out and then rotates them to the inside to crash into the liver. But it's a little bit like that. He hits it at a weird angle where it's very, very accurate, that inside space. Already at 4.20, hilarious, at 4.20, he's already making progress with this. He's already banging him out to the body. And this one here um, hurts him pretty significantly. So you see Johnson... Uh, try to hold on to him as Cejudo is, is trying to back out. And I love this little thing here because this is another part where Johnson misses, but just look how many different options he has. So you see he tries to get a two-on-one on that right arm as Cejudo is backing away. What he's going to do is he's going to rotate it over his own head like that. And then rather than – I'm surprised he didn't come with a left hook here because that was the nearest punch, but maybe he thought Cejudo was expecting it. So he throws, I mean, from his hip, a right hand. And it would have landed. It wasn't blocked. It was just a, he was a little too close. That's a really fun thing to notice, right? Look at this. He takes that two-on-one, rotates it over. Bang, just slightly um, got the range wrong. But again, just these weird options that he's got. He's just total command of offense from all kinds of ranges. Missed a little bit here because he's still getting adjusted to everything. Again, we're not even a minute into the fight, but... It just shows you what, what you're dealing with here, what kind of customer. Okay, they're back to clinching. And again, Cejudo has that, or excuse me, uh, Johnson has that left side underhook that he likes. Cejudo, when he throws knees, I'm sure they're hard, but they're pretty much the same thing. It's just up the gut over and over again. They don't come at different angles. He never really resets his feet to throw them. It's like wherever his feet are in place, that's where he throws them. What you're going to see with Johnson is he's always resetting his feet to find different angles, to find different openings, to throw different kinds of knees. You already saw the last one. He couldn't really throw it up the gut, so he kind of came up the side, already battering the liver of Henry Cejudo. We move along. Now, this is what the good moment that Henry Cejudo has. A lot of guys, what they'll do is they'll press into you a little bit, because what you commonly do, if someone presses into you, you press a little bit back. So what does Cejudo do? He presses in a little bit and then kind of walks back, right? As they circle, they're going to circle, uh, in this case, clockwise. And as they do, you see Cejudo looking down. And he's looking down because if you go back and you watch the tape, the instant that Demetrius Johnson puts his foot down... He's inside for an inside trip. What's interesting about the trip, though, is it's not, it works, 
look, it works. If something works, we talked about this last week with the with some of the stuff that Habib does. If it works, there's not a lot you can say about it. But just technically speaking, if we're nitpicking, and I am very, 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 very times infinity very hesitant to nitpick an Olympic gold medalist, but you can see how far apart his feet are here. What you'll notice is that when they come down, when they when you usually get this trip, and again, he does it on the same side that um, Johnson has the underhook, which I mentioned before that dominant angle he had. Johnson did, where his hips were facing into Cejudo and Cejudo's were facing away, he was still liable for that inside trip. Now, he gets it in this particular case, but you see how far apart his feet are. Usually when someone does an inside trip like this, they'll replace. Like this will come here, and then this will come inside. So he reaches a little bit, and as you can see, he doesn't quite, I mean, he gets around it enough to get the trip, but look at the right foot. You see how it's back already when, when Johnson comes down? It's because he wasn't totally tripped out in the same kind of way. Again, it works. So who knows, you know, going to know the feel of these positions pretty great, but you get the idea. Anyway, you see already a couple of things here. Um, Johnson puts his hand on the mat. He's got his head up. This will change in a second, but just to show you that he doesn't just relent a position. Like if he moves to a position you think is more dominant, it's because he's, he's moving to a thing that he thinks is better for him. And here's what I mean. So you see he's already got the underhook here. He doesn't ever relent that. Stays up on an elbow for a bit. Now he will go back down. I just want to point out something here. Now he's got double underhooks. He's got a butterfly hook on one side. Look how far his head up is here. Like Suhudo, if he would want to, um, could cross face here, but then he couldn't control the legs. You see him trying to reach around to control the legs here. That's what he's trying to do. He doesn't want to let um, Demetrius Johnson get his legs underneath and then behind him. That would be bad. But you got to pick your poison here because... Johnson's got his head up. I just want to point out something that you may not appreciate here. This is a small detail, and anybody who's really good is going to do this automatically, but it just matters to someone like, let's say, let's say a heavyweight like me. This is very hard. This entire time right now, Demetrius Johnson's abs are completely compressed. His whole core is engaged because his not, not merely are his shoulders off the mat, almost his lower back is too, and not in a sit-up position. Like They're still being pushed. You can see Sudo's trying to push into him, right? Um, but he's using his core to keep everything engaged. Over time, this is a very draining position. This is a very taxing moment. But someone like Demetrius Johnson, it's like it doesn't even matter because he's in such good shape physically. So we can talk about all the skill things and the timing and everything else, and that's that's all an important part of the conversation. I just want to show you this guy does his homework in the gym too because positionally everything is correct. And part of being positionally correct in certain circumstances is having the physical wherewithal to pull it off. A lot of people, when they start out doing guard work, for example, they just lay on their back and shoulders. Your core's got to be engaged, man. It's got to be engaged. And he's sitting up here carrying some of this weight, but he's doing that because that's the right thing to do to get where he wants to go. And I just want to point that out. So it's defensively responsible because his head's up. He's not taking a lot of punches. And his core is engaged, making sure that he can still do the things he needs to do to have a potent offense off of his back, or at least a strongly defensive one. So now you see here, and, and I'm not going to be able to show this in the slides just because we have a, a number of other things to get to that's more important. But what you see here is, first of all, if you feel someone put your foot in, in, in your hip, their, excuse me, if you feel someone put their feet in your hips, you have to address that immediately. You have to get your hands off of their shoulders, your, their body, whatever you're doing, and you got to stuff this hook between your legs and you have to sit on their shin. You have to do that or, you know, step around it or, you know, do a leg drag pass, something. You cannot let someone put their feet on your hips. This is how you can get helicopter arm barred. As you'll see in just a minute, this is how you can get pushed away. If someone has feet in your hips, 
BJJ students anywhere of any level, do they they know something bad's about to happen to you, or at least something that you don't necessarily want, right? Maybe you recover from it, but it's not. This is not ideal. If so the feet go in the hips, they're able to do things to you. The, your hips are the center of your body, the 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 focal point of control for someone else. You know that's why a guard goes around your hips, right? If they get your feet in there, that's problematic. And what you see Demetrius Johnson do, and this is just brilliant, you'll see him push into Cejudo. Cejudo then pushes back. See him on live toes here? So what does Johnson do? He extends. Look how far he extends. You could Photoshop this and turn this into a guy diving to an Olympic pool. You know, I guess his posture's a little broken, but you get the idea. Look how high up in the air he is, man. Pushed him all the way out, not merely with his feet, but with his hands. Everything pushed at the same time, Right? So then he is doing this. What is relevant about this? We've talked about it in the past. And again, if you're a jiu-jitsu student, you know this. This is, what's, this is a modified, because his foot is grabbed, this is a modified technical stand-up. Go look at what a, what's, what a technical stand-up is. He can't, again, he can't quite do it because this foot is being held. But this is the way you do it. Hand back on the mat, hand out in front of you to protect your face, to keep them at bay. This, hand, this foot will eventually go up uh, behind him, and he'll be able to stand up and get away. And then, of course, he separates when Cejudo lets go of the um, foot. Okay, so they're back at it again. We're less than two minutes into this fight. Look at this position and tell me who's dominating here. Now, not like crazy dominating, but who's winning it? To me, this is the guy who's getting off-balanced. He's the one who's getting lifted. He's the one who's getting turned. He's the one who's getting weak side exposed here. Again, Demetrius Johnson, that left side underhook. He really, really likes that one, right? And then they turn him. They t so, so go back. He's coming up, and they're going to rotate in a circle. Remember, it's not merely when you do someone when you're trying to launch offense in the clinch. It's not merely do you push pull in a straight line. You got to push and turn at angles. Your feet are always moving. Your body's moving. You're pulling on their lat. You're pushing on their shoulder. You're controlling their bicep. You, it, everything is in motion in a number of different directions at, at at one time. But sometimes you get these big sweeping motions that you're looking for to really expose something in a very um, massive way so he's turning him here and what does he do as he turns look at that i mean look at this <laughs> what do you want me to say who's winning this he Sahudo's underhook is being like weighted down by the armpit of johnson johnson is lifting him here and turning him here at the same time those are two motions in play at once and whose hips are facing where johnson's hips are basically facing Sahudo. Sahudo's are facing away not the same thing at all so what happens? Kaboom. There goes that knee in the circle. Turn him in a circle and then bang them out. You can bring him down straight. You can actually turn him back into it. You can stop on a dime. Whatever you need to do, that's what he does. So he positionally controls him here, runs him back in a direction, then changes the direction, fires a knee up the middle. And that's what begins to close the show a little bit here. This is where the beginning of the end is starting to set up. So Cejudo hates this and decides to push him back into the fence. Again, Johnson still has that left side underhook. He really likes that. So they go back to the fence, and you see he keeps an underhook here, although it's not as good as this point because in credit to Cejudo, he's trying to create an angle. You see Johnson trying to pull in the back of the head to rotate out um, off the fence. Can't quite get it in this one moment, but what you'll see in just a second is they rotate back flat, and what does Cejudo eat? Another knee up the, uh, not quite the gut, on the chin on the left side. So this is my point. So Hudo keeps trying to get these different positions, these static wrestling positions, these square positions, and in every time either he's turning or he's coming flat at an angle, 
Johnson's greeting him with shots over and over and over again. And remember, last time he went to the body, this time he goes to the head. He's varying it up. It's the same side because he has that same side underhook in this case. But you see what I mean. Every time they come to us in, in transition, he's banging on him. As they come flat, he's banging on him. There's never this moment where Cejudo can finally just get Johnson to stop. He can't get him to stop because there's not a scenario where Demetrius Johnson doesn't have an answer, doesn't have an offensive weapon here. So then he switches sides and then goes up to the right. And the other part about this is, maybe this film doesn't capture, you see before he's got like a wrestling tie-up. When he goes flat to the cage, he goes tie, tie style. He has a little bit of an underhook here, but then look at this. This is just straight up tie style. You see Johnson or uh, Cejudo trying to get away, and he eats a knee. This doesn't land quite flush, but pretty much on the side of his head, which I'm sure was quite painful because it did this to Cejudo. Yeah, that's not the look of someone who's having a good time. right? So now you see Johnson's like, oh, you're in trouble. And it all went back. Where is all of this coming from? This is all coming from that. From turning him in a circle and then banging him out in the you know again where's your weight going it's going this way so that's the way his knee is going to drive when he finally gets it over into a stable position so they go they come back here we go so Hudo's in trouble so what does he do here he bangs him on the now again he goes back to the body right went to the head again now he goes and he switched sides he went head left head right now body left what does that do it brings the arm down of Cejudo. So what does Demetrius Johnson do? Kablam! He goes back upstairs. Again. This is what I'm talking about. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're against the fence. It doesn't matter if you're in transition in space. It doesn't matter if you're square, your hips are facing one another. It doesn't matter if Johnson has an angle. It doesn't matter if you protect one side of your body. It doesn't matter if you protect your face. He will find an opening and he will crash into you with his knees. So we keep going. So you see here, this is what I'm talking about. Look at that little space here. Even if he loses that side of the underhook, it doesn't matter. He doesn't ever really let Cejudo establish that underhook. And again, whose hips are facing who? Johnson's hips are facing Cejudo. Cejudo's hips are facing away. Because what's happening here, what you're going to see is Johnson's going to back out at an angle and then drive back in for a knee. Cejudo, when he throws knees, he throws them from static position. Johnson, when he throws knees, is he resets to the position he wants to be in, the one that's best to throw a knee, and then throws the knee. So there we go. You see him back out, keeps the inside space here. You see that? He's still got that inside tie. Hey, look how far back that foot is now, all the way back. And what's happening? So Hudo's coming in. As Johnson's resetting the space and getting not just the proper distance, but the proper foot positioning, he's also letting Cejudo apply force forward. He's controlling the inside space for now, but watch what he lets happen. He's going to push against him as he resets his feet, and then kablam. So here's what I mean. What's so important about this? He's not only reset his feet to drive in, but he lets go of this. Look, he lets go of the push. Remember, remember Cejudo was pushing into Johnson for the takedown, and then Johnson pushed back, and then Cejudo used that as like misdirection to get the trip. It's the same thing here with this inside space. He's pushing against Cejudo because he knows Cejudo's pushing forward, but he's just going to drop this. He's going to let this go and let Cejudo's momentum come forward as he brings this up. The two things are coming together. It's not really that he's holding him up 
and then driving the knee. No, he's dropping that and then throwing the knee. So Cejudo's coming. What are the worst kinds of knockouts? Like the one Jose Aldo suffered from McGregor. McGregor's punching, but Jose Aldo's coming forward. It's the two things meeting together. This is what I'm talking about. He just drove that knee right up the middle. Look at the angle. Whose hips are facing who? Keep asking yourself that. So now, Johnson doesn't have the left side underhook. No bother. He takes it as a cross face. He's pushing Cejudo's head down as the knee comes up while he controls that bicep with the crook of his hand. That soft tissue between your thumb and your first finger, he's got that in the crook of his elbow, pushing it down so he creates this lane. There's nowhere to hide for Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo keeps thinking he's going to find some angle on Demetrius Johnson where, oh, no, he won't be able to hit me here. Let me take away that left side underhook where Johnson's just been killing me and I'll change the game. No, you won't. You will just pick a different poison because Demetrius Johnson is a demon. So we keep going. Look at him pushing back the elbow. And what do you see Cejudo doing? He throws a knee. Okay, because he's trying to fight back. He's a tough guy. He's an Olympic gold medalist, right? But it's not the same thing. He didn't really he didn't reset his feet. It hurts, I'm sure. It doesn't feel awesome, but it's not it's not really gonna make Demetrius Johnson change what he's doing. That's the difference, right? So we keep going. What does he do now? Now he's getting back some of that inside space. You see him, he's got the inside space here. Again, not firmly established, but he's at least got a hand up. And what's he doing? He's banging a right to the body. Look at the look at the spine of Cejudo just getting bent over here. Because what's Demetrius Johnson probably doing is he's probably using this hand to pull Cejudo in. Drive out as t this comes in. Again, two opposing forces. Out and in at the same time. It makes everything that much worse. So then they circle out, he comes over the top. Again, look at the hand. That hand is going to bring the elbow and the head together. Makes it even worse. Right? So what does he do? He goes back to the knee. Now here's what I want to point out. He goes back to the same side, right side knee. He has no underhook here. Look at that right side. He's got no underhook here. I can't quite tell on the left, obviously. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Uh, probably not since he's on the neck. But he may have inside control. He may have the inside tie. It's hard to tell. Either way... All he's doing is he's taking, like Cejudo probably thinks, oh, I've got the inside tie here. And you always want to be inside more than outside, but there are options no matter what. Cejudo, or excuse me, Johnson just takes the tricep and pulls him a little bit as he drives the knee. He needs just a little bit of space. Joe Rogan was talking about the unique angles that Johnson comes at. This is what I'm talking about. He doesn't need some perfect angle where he winds up. If he can wind up in space, he will. You saw that against the fence earlier. But he doesn't necessarily need to. So he goes to the body. He goes to the body one more time, again, pulling behind the underhook. He's pulling just enough, just enough. So what's open? Oh, that whole side and the whole other side of the face. He comes outside. He, go, he went body, body, head. One more time. You all see it in, in ground and pound combinations, right? Someone gets a takedown, what does the coach yell? Body, body, head. Body, body, head. Switching sides. Look at that. Look at how bent over he is. Here's Demetrius Johnson shoving the head with his right hand, shoving the head of Henry Cejudo off to the side as he greets it with a knee. There is nowhere to hide. You are trapped in this octopus's grasp, and he is about to consume you. Deadly. Deadly. So there we go, and this is truly the beginning of the end. Look at the face of Demetrius Johnson. It looks like he's waiting in line to pay for groceries, mouth closed, breathing through his nose. <laughs> what? What? 
How does somebody do that? How does somebody do that? That is shocking. All right, so then this sets up the beginning and the end. He measures him, and then I think he measured him on the right and then switched off to a left. That hurts. They meet up again. Suhudo tries to stop the bleeding, you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, stopping in space. And what does Johnson do? He greets him with a body shot um, left side. So one more time, because this is important. Body, right. Body, right. Left, head. Left, body. I mean, I don't know what you want to say. And look at the different angles here. Kind of fa- Now they're kind of facing each other. Let's go back and look at this. Kind of facing each other. Johnson's a little bit off at an angle. It's hard to tell with this one. I just want to point out, like, I'm just, you know, you can go back and look at all the slides if you want. I'm just pointing out what's amazing here. Side to side, up and bottom, different angles, left side underhook, no underhook, whatever the case may be against the fence in free space it's just complete and total domination and he gets down here kind of a leg drag position his knee would have to be between them a little bit more fully but it doesn't really need to be you know I mean I don't think I don't think at this point Demetrius Johnson's too concerned about whether his leg drag was super technical because uh, you know this was like just seconds away from being over and there you go ladies and gentlemen if he's not the best pound for pound fighter on earth he's number two or 1A 1B it is certainly debatable there he is, UFC flyweight champion. In looking at this footage, you know, my number one takeaway is just how dominant he is in all of these scenarios, right? Again, loses the underhook, fine, presses down, greets him with a knee. Look at how look at how many times Cejudo's posture is just so controlled and just never can get things going, you know? Always the one at the wrong angle, always the one bent over, always the one getting pulled and pushed and turned, everything. How do you beat this guy? I really don't know how you do it. I don't know how. Let's go to the last slide here, and we'll we'll, we'll end this. Um, we'll end this uh, thing here. I just want to point out: it doesn't matter if he's turning in this direction. Doesn't matter if he's turning in that direction. Doesn't matter if he's in free space. Doesn't matter if he's against the fence. Doesn't matter if he has his favorite side underhook or not. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This guy's your champ. He's the best flyweight ever. He's certainly the best flyweight on the planet. Might be the best fighter on the planet. In looking at this tape, the thing it tells me is that no one at this weight class is going to touch him. It's just not going to happen because he has too many answers for too many different scenarios. The only thing that could really bother him is a weight disadvantage where he just, you know, he can't control for that. I mean, he can get bigger, I guess, but, you know, not in a functional way. But as long as the weight is even, as long as he's fighting guys his own size, there's no one even close to him. There's no one even close to him. Demetrius Johnson is a clinch demon. All right, and finally, segment three, taking a look at what's coming up ahead. Actually, not a whole lot, to be honest. It's going to be quiet for a little while. Um, we just had UFC 197. The next event to take place for the UFC, UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Arlovsky. That's not till May 8th. So next weekend will be quiet, uh, and I believe that should be the last one that will be quiet, and then we'll have a one after that. So no UFC event next weekend. Again, May 8th, that'll be Overeem versus Arlovsky. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, the next one for Bellator, Bellator 154, that'll be... Um, uh, Phil Davis versus King Mo. That's not till May 14th. That'll be at the SAP Center in San Jose, California. Also, Michael Chandler, Josh Thompson on that card as well. But again, that won't be for at least two more weeks. Through, oh, three, technically, I guess. Um, and then you have World Series of Fighting 31, Ivana versus Copeland. That's not till June 17th. 
We just had World Series of Fighting 30, so it's going to be a while before World Series of Fighting comes back. There'll be smaller MMA events between now and then, of course. If something is big and important, we'll take a look at it. But um, we're going to have the Jones versus OSP breakdown next Monday, since there's no big event at all next week. Um, that will affect views again, but I'm willing to bite that bullet for you because that's what I believe about this podcast. Um, but there you go. Those are your next big ones. And, of course, uh, World Series of Fighting 31 will have Blagoy Ivana versus Josh Copeland, Jason High versus Mike Ricci, uh, John Howard versus Tiago Meller, Luis Palomino versus Shaman De Silva Moraes. Okay, uh, get at me on Snapchat, the Luke Thomas seventy nine. Uh, I'm on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Really appreciate it. If you got any corrections to anything I said? Any additions? You can uh, let me know via email. Would appreciate that as well. And until next time, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Enjoy the fights.